Welcome back to WBAI and Driving Forces, where we focus on the big issues in city, state, and national politics that matter to you. You were just listening to Reggie, but before that, you were listening to Let's Talk with John Kane. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons. Welcome back to WBAI. I want to thank our listeners, and I want to thank Reggie for noting that tomorrow is the birthday of WBAI, because it's never more important to to, uh, show your support for BAI than on our birthday. Birthday. And what a great way to do that would be to become a BAI buddy. I'm a BAI buddy because I give a recurring donation every month. Comes right out of my check of $20. You can give $25. You can give $5, $10. Whatever you would like, help show your support for WBAI. And the way to become a BAI buddy, uh, if you're a dedicated listener and you want to do this on BAI's birthday, would be to go online to WBAI.org. That's WBAI.org. As easy as that. And uh, set up this so you could become a BAI buddy. You'll get a tote bag. You'll get a discount card that Andrea will send you. So you'll get discounts to a number of places. You'll see a number of them on our website. But the tote bag is something that you will proudly carry around New York City or wherever uh, wherever you live. So today, uh, we are going to talk about Governor Cuomo's State of the State speech. Yesterday, he unveiled his agenda for 2020 during his 10th State of the State address in Albany. Uh, in recent weeks, he already announced about three dozen of those initiatives that he's going to focus on this year. He did mention a few new ones as well yesterday. He resurrected last year's failed attempt to to legalize marijuana and uh, also talked about borrowing $3 billion uh, to get into a fund uh, to fund environmental upgrades across the state. So we're going to assess uh, what the governor said, what he didn't say as well, what did not come up. Uh, we're going to uh, talk with two guests who are going to call in, but I am so excited to have in the studio today a former colleague of mine, a political guru in my eyes. Yes, I'm calling you a guru. Uh, L. Joy Williams. Uh, she has an amazing background. She's a sought-after political strategist, a public speaker. Uh, she does an ongoing uh, a radio show and podcast, right? Sunday Civics. Uh, she worked with me at the New York City Controller's Office, but she's done a number of campaigns, has a, a great deal of political and government insight into what's going on, not just on a grassroots level here in Brooklyn, but city, state, and also federal. You can always see her on New York One and also MSNBC. And I do want to, as far as her credentials, also mention she serves as president of the Brooklyn NAACP, and uh, she also is the legislative coordinator for the New York State NAACP Conference of of branches. Welcome to WBAI's Driving Forces. I have a lot of jobs. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm happy you were able to make it here today. Yes. You know, um, what's interesting is always being with someone who's like introducing me and I'm listening back. I was like, oh, yeah, I, that's a lot. <laughs> what's tough is when I take someone's bio and some people give me one sentence. You gave me a great bio. I'm like, ah, every time I wanted to cut something out, I'm like, no, I need to say that. And there's a lot more folks because I didn't even say which campaigns you've worked on. Ah, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can touch on them throughout the show. Now, we know we have a guest on the line and we're going to bring him on in just a moment. But before we bring on uh, New York State Senator Kevin Parker, I thought I would just ask you, Eljoy, for your reaction to the governor's state of the state yesterday. 
um, you see my pages of notes. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I think overall, right, I, what's interesting is, as you you mentioned previously, some of the majority of this stuff are things that we've heard before, right, in leading up. And this has been his style, you know, for a, a while. It's not like we get to state of state and then he's unveiling something completely brand spanking new once you're in the room. Um, so he kind of does a buildup of things. Um, I, I do think that the administration and others, they reach out starting in the summer and sort of laying the groundwork for what they are thinking and sort of how they, you know, looking to move and how the governor is looking to move. So a lot of this isn't new, um, as well as the, the the frame in which he put this up in terms of defining progressive for himself mm-hmm. um, and, and, and sort of giving a very clear indication on um, using a lot of rhetoric, Right. Because in, it's not just him, but it's tons of candidates all across the country that are using the rhetoric and the language of progressive. Um, but there is a disconnect between that rhetoric and the actual results. And so what's interesting is, you know, skilled politicians like himself, because he's a very skilled politician. Right. Um, a very skilled governor sort of being able to take what we know are the talking points and the rhetoric and turn it in a way to sort of define what is um, his positives or what he believes his positives are. It's a very good opening, and that's going to bring us to our first guest that Eljoy and I are going to talk with. On the line, we have New York State Senator uh, Kevin Parker. He represents the 21st District, comprises portions of neighborhoods of East Flatbush, Flatbush, Midwood, Ditmas Park, Kensington, Park Slope, and Windsor Terrace here in Brooklyn. A Democrat, he was first elected in 2002. Uh, He was in the audience yesterday and also had uh, some success today uh, with legislation that... uh, had uh, passed in the Senate that we're going to ask him about. Senator Parker, welcome to Driving Forces. Hi, Senator Parker. Do we have you on the line? Yes, I'm sorry. Ah. I, had some, I had this on mute while I was listening. <laughs> My bad. I, I, was, I was so enthralled with uh, Joy's you know, bio that, you know, oh, I, was stop just, it. I was just kind of listen, you know, ready to listen <laughs> to her for the next couple of minutes. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. <laughs> Okay. Oh, I didn't know if you wanted to say something, I'll try. No, 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 no. I, what, what, what I need to say, I think, is on the wall of the uh, seven things I cannot use. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we do have a list of words we are not supposed to be saying uh, on this That's station funny. that we only say when we're off air. Um, so you were in the room. I looked at the video that you had posted. I saw this on Twitter where you said that uh, what this was poetry, not uh, not prose. Can you talk a little about what you meant? Yeah, I mean, similar to, to what you heard Eljoy say a couple of minutes ago, is that, uh, you know, they, they, it's this kind of this, this saying that, that we use that, um, you know, you, you campaign in poetry and you govern in prose. But, uh, and yesterday was more of a campaign speech than it was an actual plan. And so, um, you know, so some of what you see in the state of the state, and this is not a critique at all, it's just literally what happens is that, you know, the governor comes out, he throws a bunch of things up against the wall and sees what sticks. And so there's a lot of things that, you know, are kind of interesting there. Um, if you saw my uh, reaction on Twitter and other places, I was, um, being a Brooklynite, I was really um, kind of taken back by the fact that there was no mention of Brooklyn, other than talking about the Shirley Chisholm Park, State Park, which is New Park, is great, wonderful, but we have did it already, right? Like, we cut the ribbon on that this, this summer, what we're doing, you know, his speech was about what we're doing going forward. And so there was no plan going forward to talk about all of the issues that are important uh, in Brooklyn uh, by name. And so um, that was a little bit of, 
uh, jarring. I mean, not one infrastructure project, um, nothing about housing, nothing specifically talking about job creation in Brooklyn. Um, you know, even as we talk about the issues of addressing you know, anti-Semitism, I mean, we have the largest concentration of Jewish people outside of Israel in the world, right? And so, you know, how do we not talk about specific things as we address them um, in, you know, the third largest city in the entire country, which is Brooklyn, New York? And so, um, you know, that that was a little bit disappointing, um, but I thought there was a lot of things that, that were um, important uh, in the context of uh, things that we need to get done around the state. Did you find anything groundbreaking? Um, I, I guess, um, I mean, for, for people like m- myself and, and the government, like, like, you know, I do this for a living, right? And so many of the things that he's talking about are the things that, we, that are conversations that we have all been talking about. So there was nothing there that I thought was, you know, some big thing that, you know, I've never heard before or didn't think was uh, was important. I certainly um, give the governor credit for his um, – his drive and, and always moving on to, to kind of outdo himself. And so, you know, um, the money he's, put, he's doing around economic development, particularly around the state, um, I think is important. And it's important for Brooklynites, right? In part because as a Brooklynite, you're, pay, you're only getting back 77 cents on a dollar that you pay in taxes. Why? Because p- the people of Brooklyn are a net um, depositor of taxes. The people upstate are net beneficiaries of our taxes. And so when you hear about an upstate project getting done, whether it's rehabbing an airport or doing some other kind of economic development money, that is your tax dollars at work. So the more that they actually invest upstate New York and get something that turns around in terms of improving the upstate economy, that gives people like myself and Vilmanette Montgomery and Zelnor Myrie and uh, Diane Savino an opportunity to argue that we need to get more of our tax dollars back um, because we, we pay more into, into the state coffers than we get back. So given the fact that the state is facing what would be a, a $6 billion budget gap uh, caused by uh, largely by rising Medicaid costs, uh, did this, you know, annou- did his announcements give you any cause for concern thinking how are we going to fund a number of these initiatives? I know it's several weeks before he would be announcing any type of fiscal plan, but, you know, there, there are no details at this point, and I'm curious whether you think you know, a lot of these can, you know, will even be able to be funded. Well, in my 18th year in the state Senate, thanks to the, the graciousness and the, and the trust of the people of the 21st District in Brooklyn, um, I've seen bigger. I've been see, I've seen bigger deficits. Um, in 2009, 2010, we actually closed two ten billion dollar uh, deficits. And so, um, you know, so I think I have a little bit of experience having served my entire time in the state senate uh, on the finance committee um, and working with you know great smart people like Liz Kruger, um, understanding how we address these these, these kind of issues. And it's, it's really a double issue, right? So one, we have this gap that we're going to have to close. I think there's probably be, be two billion or so that he'll push. He'll you know do some kind of you know financial tricks and push into a, into next year, and we'll probably wind up with about a four billion dollar hole that we're going to have to close. And uh, you know you know they don't want to say the word taxes, but we're going to have to raise revenues in some kind of way for at least part of that money, and then we're going to have to find some efficiencies. Um, you know the 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 challenge for myself and um, you know Senator Prasad. Uh, you know, uh, Salazar and others, is that we will be looking for ways to make sure that those those uh, efficiencies and those cuts don't come on the backs of the people of Brooklyn uh, and making sure that 
that we're able to maintain service uh, levels um, at the appropriate at the appropriate ranges. Uh, and so, you know, and so like again, we're going to need to look, you know, at that and you know deeply as as we go forward. The second challenge is really what do we do about healthcare courses and particularly again in the Medicaid uh, situation because we're really going to have to solve that. We can't have this keep keep coming back to bite us year after year after year. Um, and so um, there's lots of conversations both within the kind of context of the finance committee, but also with people like Gustavo Rivera, our chairman of the health committee, uh, to figure out, um, you know, the best ways to, to deal with, with, with this, this ongoing problem. Uh, Senator, you know, I want to ask further to your conversation about ensuring that uh, whatever cuts or taxes need to happen do not happen at the expense of, you mentioned Brooklynites, which I agree with, heading a Brooklyn <laughs> NAACP, um, but just overall in the state and ensuring that, you know, uh, we don't fall into the trap that since we have to cut everywhere, it has to cut on the backs of uh, working folks and particularly the marginalized and uh, working poor. So I'm also interested in, in, in seeing you mention health care. Um, what are some other things from the Senate leadership perspective um, that the Senate is, is sort of holding the line on um, that you feel are unmovable um, as you're moving to sort of close this, this gap? Well, the big thing for me is education, right? Um, and, you know, we need to be putting more money into education, not less money into education. And despite, you know, the, the governor's uh, argument that that more more money is not going to necessarily solve the problem. Let's try to solve the problem with some money first because we actually haven't tried that yet. <laughs> and so um, <laughs> I'm, I refuse to see the the education budget uh, cut. And I want to make sure that if we do anything in the context of healthcare, that we're doing it in a way that doesn't uh, trickle down. Uh, you know, again to to the people who need healthcare, need access to healthcare uh, the most. I've been spending most of my time looking at revenue raisers because I think there's lots of ways um, that we can raise revenue, and I think that that's the argument and the fight that many of us are going to have to have, and that's going to be, frankly, an easier fight um, than the fight than the fights around cuts. Um, you know, like I'm a big a big supporter of the stock, you know, of, of reissuing some portion of the stock transfer tax. It's a it's a literally 18 billion dollars worth of taxes that we automatically. Uh, rebate every single year um, to to the, to Wall Street, right? To, to the to the richest people in the state. Um, there are a bunch of of tax cuts that were put in by uh, the Pataki administration. That I think we should be going back and looking at, um, including getting we got rid of the taxes on on the on the fuel for for private jets, right? So there's lots of ways to kind of um, balance the 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 books. Um, Using the revenue of people who who have the most the most resources in the state, and, and we're not going about that, I think, the right way. And and there's lots of efficiencies that we can we can we can deal with, including um, IDAs and some of the economic development money that we just you know we throw into the wind uh, to large corporations to get them to come here, and they are going to come here anyway, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that was part of you know what the the argument was, uh, frankly, around the Amazon deal, and I didn't disagree with that portion of it. And as you and and frankly. Um, what you see is now right because, because Amazon is still coming, uh, and we'll see whether you know jobs jobs still uh, follow them. But um, you know that's a real conversation that that really, frankly, the people of the state haven't been engaged in. I think we really need to have really more conversations about. Um, but you know, holding the line on education, um, you know, to me, uh, is is literally the most important important part. 
um, um, you know, followed by health care, and then, and then also housing. Um, we have to really make sure that we're providing um, housing, not just affordable housing, but workforce housing, and, and, and making sure we do more supportive housing, which, again, was one of the, the things that the governor talked about uh, in his state of the state. And so I agree with him with that, and the question is how and where are you going to put the supportive housing uh, is going to be really important. But we're going to make sure that, um, as you've indicated, that, that the least of those in our communities uh, are protected through this budget cycle. And one of those revenue generators over time would be uh, a, uh, a, a marijuana legalization program that the governor had said could generate up to $300, uh, $300 million a year. If this goes through, where do you think that revenue should go to? Should it go to educational programs? Because I'm sure that's going to Brooklyn. Be- Yeah. um, (laughs) It also should have a very permanent percentage that is identified for um, those particular areas that were devastated um, by um, the the heavy hand of our drug of the drug war. Right. And sort of of the uh, applied um, criminalization in particular communities. I agree. Um, I mean, you know, as we've negotiated um, the issues around um, you know, legalization of adult use cannabis, um, the biggest issue for me has been restorative justice and not just, you know, letting people out and, and helping them get their rights, but giving people an opportunity and a hand up um, so that they can participate in this new um, burgeoning economy that's going to be built. Uh, and I think Joy's making the absolute right point uh, is making sure that, you know, a good portion of that money helps, you know, get a re-entry, re-entry for some of these folks, business opportunities and incubators for some of these folks uh, so they can participate and so we can invest in them um, as they invest in this, in this, this new large uh, sector. But certainly I think m- many of us think this is a way to pay for CFE and some of the other um, education needs uh, uh, throughout the state, as well as, you know, dealing with some of the, the, the balancing we need to do around the opi- opioid crisis uh, has been another um, area in which, um, you know, we think that there should be some significant amount of um, of resources spent and attention paid. So we've got just a few minutes left, and I do want to go to one of your successes that took place uh, this afternoon, if I'm correct, because I saw the statement from Citizens Union applauding the Senate for passing automatic voter registration and on-campus polling site bills. Can you talk a little about these measures? Absolutely. Oh, you want me to talk? About oh, yeah. Okay. Like, you, you know, uh, what will they do? You're, we're kind of breaking yeah. news for the public that might not have heard that this just Absolutely. took place in Albany today. Well, as we started out last year, um, this year we, uh, our very first day of session, which was today, we hit the ground running and really started dealing with the issue of voter enfranchisement. And, you know, the notion is, is that, you know, the cornerstone of any democracy, particularly the American democracy, is voting and access to the franchise. And so we've continued to push the envelope. We did a number of things last year in, in conjunction with the, uh, the, the State Assembly uh, to, to expand voting rights, and we did more today. Um, the big piece was a bill by Senator Generis, which you know, created automatic voting. Um, we think that's a big win, and I think that we're going to think that's going to be a big step if we're able to get that passed and signed by the governor. Uh, to increase the number of, of, of voters. Right now, 16 states do it. Um, we look at the top democracies in the world. The United States ranks like number 29 in part because we have such an onerous process as it relates to getting people registered to vote. We think it should be an automatic process. Um, and, you know, we think that, that, that some of the things that are being raised 
around fraud and these other things are, are red herrings. This is really going to um, give the state uh, an opportunity to get more people absolutely engaged. And then my bill, um, which I passed today, um, is a bill that actually puts voting uh, sites on college campuses. Um, and I think I looked at it both ways, both from the context of, of access and for creating more access for young people who we want to be more engaged in the political process, but also um, some of, of a civic uh, position, because we believe that if you get young people voting earlier, that they'll vote more consistently, not, not just now, but throughout the course of their lives. And so um, we want to make it easier for every New Yorker to get access to the franchise, um, and those two bills in particular, but there was a whole set of about uh, eight or nine bills that we passed today that we think are going to make a huge difference uh, in terms of um, giving New Yorkers the right to vote and making sure that their, their rights are easily um, accessed uh, throughout the state. Senator Parker, we're coming to a close now, and always the toughest question, how can people learn more about you and the work that you do? Oh, well, one, you can call me directly. I'm in my offices, um, 718-629-6401. You can go to my website at uh, you know, www.nysenate.gov, and certainly I'm on, like most social media, I'm on Instagram and Facebook at Senator Kevin Parker. I'm on LinkedIn, um, on Twitter. Uh, even though they don't let me have the account no more, but that's another conversation. Um, no. But, but no. You, can still, you can still reach me. You can still reach me there. Um, uh, and so I look forward to hearing people, you know, from folks. A lot of times I will respond to messages directly um, on many of those 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 areas, and um, certainly looking forward to engaging with folks and hearing their ideas about the things that we could be doing to make New York better um, for all New Yorkers, but particularly for Brooklyn Knights. Senator Parker, we want to thank you uh, for appearing on WBAI today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you so much. See you soon. All right, take care. So, Eljoy, I'm really curious. You know, it, it, I felt like it was a knee-jerk reaction that Republicans immediately pounced on the fact that the governor did not mention uh, bail reform in his remarks. That was like, I. It's not like I even. Um, you know, ran to the computer screen to see if they were criticizing. You just knew that they were going to say that. Your, your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, you know, we we see this is a playbook that they've done before in terms of scaring voters or scaring New Yorkers into believing that because we are um, helping to alleviate and roll back um, measures that significantly um, impact marginalized folks, working folks, people of color, um, that um, somehow that means means that there is death and doom, you know, to uh, to them. Right. Um, and so we're very clear and I, I am proud of our elected leadership thus far, <laughs> you know, in the not all of them, but so far, um, the the ones that are holding the line in saying that we're not going to fall into this fear narrative um, and that the progressive step that we made in um, the last legislative cycle, we're not going to roll that back by, you know, and be uh, swayed by this campaign of fear that is being targeted towards um, New Yorkers. So at the beginning of the show, uh, we talked, you know, we talked a little about uh, the progressive tone or at least uh, how the governor is framing, you know, his announcement. And uh, do you feel that a lot of this movement of his was not just caused by someone like AOC getting elected, but also your candidate when you, you had worked with Cynthia Nixon and, and ran against him? And do you feel that you're still seeing the 
you know, lingering impact of that. So one of the things, the reason why I say that um, someone like Governor Cuomo is a very skilled politician um, is because uh, people who are skilled in that way are able to capitalize on what the latest sort of a wave or political wave or messaging is and being able to spin that and develop it in a way, message it in a way um, that uh, benefits them and their politics. And Cuomo's very good at that. And it's part of the reason why he, you know, uh, has been so, you know, uh, popular among some people and able to get elected. And so to see that the wave of progressive, right, that there is a wave and it's like, how can I ride this? How can I, you know, identify um, with this and change it in a way and morph it in a way that benefits his politics and benefits his decisions? And that's what he's done. Right. And so that's why I talk about in the beginning, he uses the rhetoric, um, but then very clearly um, uh, tries to define his form of progressivism um, and not sort of what we know to be true is that progressive policies are those that empower, um, are those that uplift those who are marginalized or working um, folks and, you know, uh, uh, people of color in this state, um, black and Latinx uh, folks in, in, in particular, um, those in the LGBTQ community, right? And so we know that that is who is at the heart, that we are centering those folks. We are centering us, mm-hmm. you know, in progressive politics. And so he's very skilled at using the language of it um, and making you feel as if, oh, he's doing something about it. But then, you know, the devil is in the details. Um, and you begin to see something that is this really something that is going to empower, uplift, and provide structural change because that's the other the the last piece that a lot of people forget about moving progressive politics right it's not that it's just about moving the ball you know down the road it is also what road is the ball on <laughs> and does it belong there and begin with right um and so that that is what we need to keep in mind and you know what i try from NAACP you know members to just general folks and saying you know look beyond the rhetoric and the talk points and in the PowerPoint presentations, if you will. And it's so interesting. And then we're going to get uh, to our next guest. But, you know, I live in, uh, as you might recall, I live in Queens and Jackson Heights. So I'm in the heart of uh, AOC's district. Mm-hmm. And it's just been amazing. I'm on so many email lists now from potential candidates for different uh, levels of office, including most of the borough president candidates in Queens right now. And Everyone is throwing out the word progressive. Everyone is positioning yeah. themselves as being the most progressive. It's like a magic spell. Um, <laughs> it's just like if I just if I just say progressive, then you know people will get and you know and and the balance from a civics teacher perspective, right? Um, the balance is is that the reason why we use party labels or names like progressive or um, things of that nature is that it is an easy way for voters, for people on the street, for potential supporters to sort of check it, the box in their mind of identifying. The same thing you would do on uh, on an opposite side of talking about conservative policies mm-hmm. or things of that nature, right? It's a, it's a way to signal to the public without being able to, you know, have a lengthy conversation on the airwaves in person, you know, or, you know, through your inbox, right? It's a way to sort of signal to people, hey, I'm on your side. If you're progressive, if you're, you know, sort of identify that mm-hmm. way. 
But the reality is, and you know, something that I try to educate people about, just think about your own self, right? Your views are varying. And while you, yes, may be from a coalition standpoint, we may be all together on, you know, empowering and advancing how we get there. We may have difference of opinion and that's majority of people, right? And so that's something I try to educate people about understanding. Yes, people are using the labels. It's a quick way, you know, for people to be able to communicate where they are on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. Um, But then we have to go the next level. Then we have to say, but do, you know, I agree with who you will, you know, sideline with the way in which you want to get there. Very good point. You're listening to Driving Forces with me, Jeff Simmons, and guest host, political strategist, L. Joy Williams, here on WBAI New York 99.5 FM, streaming live at WBAI.org. We're going to take your call shortly. Write down this number to call in about another, say, 12 minutes, 212-209-2877. That number's 212-209-2877. Our next guest was in Albany for the State of the State yesterday, Larry Levy. He holds dual roles, Vice President for Economic Development and Professional Studies at Hofstra University and also Executive Dean of the National Center for Suburban Studies at Hofstra University. Larry, welcome to WBAI. Wow. Thanks for having me on. Like Joy, you have a very prestigious bio, so I had to trim it down uh, to just a few things. <laughs> and 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 like me, also, I went to Hofstra. Ah. <laughs> oh well, I bow down before you. <laughs> so I agree with every. Now I agree with everything you just said. <laughs> I did not realize that. I should have picked that up. So, uh, Larry, give us your assessment. You were in the room yesterday. What was the the atmosphere? What was the mood in the room yesterday for the state of the state? The mood was actually uh, a, a pretty glum. I, I think that there are a lot of undercurrents um, playing out in the so-called back rooms, uh, particularly over some of the progressive uh, uh, policies that you were referring to, I was listening in. It was an interesting discussion. Uh, bail reform being being the, the, the one that's talked about most often, uh, particularly among you know the so-called suburban moderate Democrats uh, who uh, were elected uh, in large numbers uh, two years ago, uh, for a year and a half ago. Um, in Cuomo, he tried hard, you know, uh, with 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 the rhetoric of inclusion and diversity and uh, progressivism uh, to, to rally people's spirits. But in the end, everybody in that room who has to balance a budget or satisfy uh, constituencies knows it's going to be a really miserable year. And whether you're a county executive who near the end of a long, long speech, really one of his longest, uh, suddenly was faced with the prospect of having to pay more of the Medicaid budget when six or seven years ago, in a deal, they were relieved of a lot of that burden. Or you are a Democratic state senator from Long Island and your office is inundated with concerns, you know, the fear-mongering, that, that as it's described by, by, by many, uh, over bail reform. You know that it's going to be really, really rough. Uh, and uh, and the other thing is that he kind of scrambled up. I'm starting to talk like an old timer now. <laughs> this was my 35th. I couldn't figure out if it was my 35th or my 36th step. 
state of the uh, state. Uh, my very first one was Mario Cuomo's first. I was a reporter for Newsday in their Albany bureau. And uh, I think I went to almost every one of them except for a few years when I was on the investigative team. And I went up for them even after I started running suburban studies. But, but you know, uh, if, if you step, there, there are traditional battle lines in, in Albany. It doesn't take a rocket science or a political rocket scientist to, to know this. I mean, it's upstate versus downstate. It's city versus suburb. It's Republican versus Democrat. But but he kind of scrambled things up, um, created alliances, for, for example, with the Medicaid uh, bomb that he dropped on lo- local officials. Suddenly, upstate county executives, you know, Republicans are locking arms with downstate Democratic county executives. Uh, the mayor of New York definitely needs Steve Ballone, the Suffolk County executive, and Laura Curran, the, the Nassau County executive, to fight this off. So suddenly you've got these strange alliances among Republicans and Democrats, liberals, moderates, and even conservatives. Uh, you also um, have um, uh, created new fault lines. Suddenly a, a Democratic state senator like uh, Todd Kaminsky on Long Island uh, – may be forced to choose between what he might consider his political existence in trying to get some reform of bail reform, in their thinking, uh, and might be willing to throw the county Democratic county executive under the bus and let Cuomo take some of the Medicaid money. And, you know, this we never saw, Democrats fighting against Democrats in, in similar geographies. So things are really weird up there. And intense um, because there's not a lot of money and there's still a lot of need. Uh, and a lot of constituencies, particularly in the suburbs, are a little confused and a little afraid. And um, uh, Republicans and the district attorneys and the police chiefs and some of the county executives are doing their best to keep them scared and confused. So as you sat in the room, I'm curious, did you find – was did anything kind of shock you or surprise you or did you think, well, this is now my 35th or 36th time sitting through one of these, the 10th for Governor uh, Cuomo? You know, none of this surprises me. He, you know, he's using certain messaging and Eljoy has, you know, uh, really insightfully – uh, provided yes. insight onto you know how he you know showed his adeptness at this. Uh, do you feel that he learned lessons from working you know with the uh, uh, Senate Democrats and uh, Assembly members over the last year, so that he plugged in certain messaging to kind of sway them over for this year? I'm just curious. You know, anything surprise you? Uh, I, you know, I, I don't know that it was Cuomo per se, who surprised me. I mean, even this new argument, maybe I'm overselling it, but this new paradigm for, you know, p- political relationships, the, the, the battle lines, you know, scramming the battle lines. It doesn't surprise me because he's kind of a master at moving people around, setting an agenda, um, um, you know, con- confusing players for his advantage. And I'm not even criticizing him for that. That's what a you know, leaders supposed to do. You just hope he's doing it on behalf of the things that you care about. So I'm not surprised at that. But but what's new, really, is that the battles are now going to be between among Democrats. Where, for instance, the fight over school aid was mm-hmm. city Democrats versus suburban Republicans. 
And now the fight over school aid may be not only among, uh, you know, between city Democrats and suburban Democrats, but between suburban Democrats, some who represent some increasingly poor districts and those who represent, you know, there aren't a lot of rich districts anymore on Long Island, but, but well, relatively wealthier ones. So the battle lines are, are, are different. That's what's different. And you've got to kind of adjust to it. If you're an old-timer or even a mid-timer, you've got to think before you talk because you're used to saying certain things and framing certain things, and it just has changed dramatically since the Democrats took over the Senate. I think, um, Larry, something other uh, perspective is that this is also a re-election year for folks, right? And so when you're talking about... that gives Cuomo an enormous amount of leverage. Right. Um, and that's that's an important part to note um, in terms of you, you mentioned these battle lines and sort of the fights among Democrats. But then they also have if you're talking about um, some Democrats will have challenges to their left. Right. To the extent that you can get to the left of some of these very left <laughs> Democrats in some areas. Um, and then in places where um, those few places where uh, Democrats, uh, you know, is sort of a moderate and is very few places, right? So that there's challenges there. Um, and as you mentioned, it gives Cuomo a huge opportunity to say, you know, I, you know, I can support you as a as a winning governor, as a sitting governor, um, being able to go into an election cycle um, right. with his support. Um, but right. then also how that benefits or hurts you going back to your district. Right. So depending on your district, you may want to go back and say, you know, I have the support of the governor. And then in some districts, you may want to be the one beaten up on his head, you know, because that's just the, like the nature of your district and how right. you're going to get reelected. Right. No, I, I, I think I, I, I can't disagree with anything you said. The, 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 the difference between the city Democrats uh, who, on the left and the, say, relatively more moderate Democrats uh, uh, in, in the suburbs is when, not just where the threat comes from, but when the threat comes. For a city Democrat, it's in a primary. And it's a very different landscape. Uh, they don't have to worry about moderate voters. They don't have to worry about um, uh, uh, the things that the suburban Democrats have to do, which is when their threat takes place, pretty much, which is in the general election. So there are still a lot of people on Long Island who, even though the enrollment now is more Democratic than Republican, which shocks people who haven't been paying attention, but there are an enormous number of independents. They are moderate. They are not. They, they might vote for a Republican. They might vote for a Democrat. So Long Island Democrats are not worried about getting a challenge from the left. They're not worried even about a primary from the right. They're worried about getting beaten by, uh, you know, a, a, a Republican who doesn't come across as a Trumper. Yep. And right now they're just getting hammered on bail reform, you know, regardless of. What you feel on the on the issue politically, it is an enormous problem. And, 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 and look at the differences of where um, the Senate Majority Leader is and the Assembly Speaker. Carl Hasty does not have to do anything, no matter how he feels about the issue. He doesn't have to do anything. It's, it's existing law, and the only challenge to his uh, speakership would be if he displeases a very progressive majority in his. 
conference. And he can afford to lose 10 suburban members and still not even be close to being challenged in terms of having a majority. Senate is not quite the same thing. They could they lose six Long Island seats and a Westchester seat, and then things get really, really dicey. Uh, and so Andrew Seward Cousins has to do something. The question is what? What will Hasty let her do on behalf of her uh, uh, suburban moderates? I, I think this is absolutely fascinating, and maybe inside baseball, but I hope people who listen to a show like this care about that stuff. Uh, but that's that's what I was listening to. You know, the Environmental Bond Act. I mean, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm an environmentalist. I care passionately about it. I'm a fly fisherman. I want my trout streams clean and all that stuff. But um, the reality is that, uh, you know, that's, that's the easiest thing in the world, a $3 billion bond act on an issue that's important, popular, and you can pay for it with borrowed money. <laughs> you know, that, that's not like a big deal. That's going to sail through. That's not controversial. It's. It's uh, Medicaid that affects local hospitals. It's school aid that uh, affects um, uh, how local legislators are perceived, particularly outside of New York City, um, where people look at individual districts and how much they're getting and play the winner and loser game. It's, it's, it's a fascinating year. So, and we look forward to it. Larry Levy, I want to thank you for being on WBAI today. How can people learn more about you? Well, they could go to... Uh, the National Center for Suburban Studies website, which is www.hofstra.edu slash NCSS, National Center for Suburban Studies. I get Google Me news. I'm, I'm, I am uh, you know, lucky that people still call me and ask me to come on shows like this and, and, uh, and be in newspapers. So um, if they want to see what I say, they can do that. I am not, you're going to just like die, but I'm not on Twitter. Under my own name. Yeah, I, I knew that when I was trying to tag you. For yeah, this. yeah. And it's a long story. I won't go into it. And I won't give it out because there's a little dispute over how I should be out there on Twitter. Okay. I don't want to bore you with it. Larry Levy, thank you so much for appearing with us here on Driving Forces on WBAI today. And thank you for letting me talk to you, Ross. So uh, the lines are open, 212-209-2877. Give us a call. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons, here on WBAI's Driving Forces. I'm joined in studio by L. Joy Williams, political consultant and expert with amazing insight today. And I've been very happy to hear your perspective on this. So thank you so much for no joining problem. us here. Uh, you know, one of the other things that – I mean. I don't know. I maybe I wasn't paying attention, but for me, one of the standout announcements was that more New York officials are going to have to disclose their tax records. If you're making not just the commissioners upstate and the lieutenant governor and the governor, but he wants to move for that any what even local officials who make more than a hundred thousand a year. Yeah, I mean, I think any time that um, uh, from a public trust standpoint, from a transparency standpoint, to the extent that we keep you know uh, prevent you know, identity theft and things of that nature. I think any of that is 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 definitely um, doable. And I think he should also look internally about how they can open up <laughs> data within the state mm -hmm. and within the administration as well in terms of how things are chosen, you know, the um, budget per se. You know, um, we, we've, uh, you know, been adjacent to the council at some point or I've worked at the New York City Council. Um, and remember when, you know, you couldn't search 
you know, mm-hmm. the budget in, in, in detail on that stuff. So that's stuff that should be done on the state level as well to sort of how can we improve the transparency and trust um, of government at a time where people do have a distrust, um, where, you know, the, um, you know, polling on trusting government entities or politicians or individuals um, is very low any instance we can do to sort of open the books um, and make it transparent for people, I think is important. You know, there's some other things that I think, you know, just to highlight, but then also to, to highlight that were interesting um, and supportive, um, but then also highlighting the many glaring omissions um, in some of those things, at least from my perspective and the progressive perspective uh, for communities of uh, color. Um, should I start with the good? Mm, it's really <laughs> quick. Uh, <laughs> you know, you talked about expanding paid sick leave, but we also need to make sure that it's expanding for as many industries and as many workers as possible, right? And sort of not leaving people out. This is very important considering that um, in New York State and in a lot of other places where you have a generation like mine, you know, I'm 41, right, who is not only taking care of their own nuclear families, but also caring uh, and caring for children um, and others and, and but also caregivers for aging parents, for extended family. Um, and in an instance where everything is expensive, right, where like having paid sick leave is good for per- people's mental health, which the governor said, mm-hmm. you know, he wants to focus on, which the speaker said he wants to focus on, um, but that is also helpful for us in terms of health care, right? Being able to have family, cent- you know, family at the center of that. So I think that definitely the pink tax thing is 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 definitely good for me, right? Mm-hmm. The fact that I have to pay extra because something is pink. And by the way, why does the thing have to be pink, right? <laughs> like, um, and the pink tax for those who are unaware, sort of the extra, um, the extra that women have to pay for goods just because mm-hmm. It's for women, and that could be anything from razors to tampons and pads and things of that nature that um, women either use similarly, like razors, mm-hmm. or that are specifically for us that are just taxed a, a little bit more. Um, and so addressing that is is definitely something. But there's some glaring omissions um, that I want to talk about. Senator okay. Parker mentioned education, mm-hmm. and definitely the uh, foundation aid um, to schools, $38 billion that are owed foundation aid. And look, this is not just money um, we're saying to give and it's supposed to be used for, you know, uh, uh, people think that $38 billion is going to to schools and they're going to just piss it away. Foundation aid is something, oh, geez. (laughs) Foundation aid is something, I said one of the words. Foundation (laughs) aid is... um, it, it, you know, is central, particularly to uh, uh, schools and marginalized communities that need their money um, to be able to provide an equitable education for students across the state. Um, and that's something um, that should be highlighted in that piece. Um, I think the the other piece um, is just on justice reform. Um, at, certainly one of the uh, uh, proponents of repealing 50A um, in, on the state, which sort of allows law enforcement to hide behind secrecy um, when we're trying to get justice for families um, based upon um, their interaction with law enforcement. Um, Definitely that's something he can do addressing uh, the school to prison pipeline um, in schools across the state as well. Um, And then there were some questionable things. Banning 
people, sex offenders from the subway? How are we going to do that? Yeah, I wondered. <laughs> I wondered about that one. I didn't know if that was going to come up with either of our folks. Let me let's go to one call and then we'll come sure. back to some of these other issues. But you raise a really good one. We should have flagged this earlier. Uh, we have a caller on the line. Welcome to WBAI. What's your name and what's on your mind? My name is Mitch. I'm calling from Brooklyn. Hi, Mitch. And uh, I am uh, concerned about the cuts in Medicaid, Medicare, mm-hmm. uh, that might be coming down from the federal and the state. Uh, in my community, East Flatbush, the infant mortality rate for black and Hispanic women is the highest in the state. Infant, that's women dying in childbirth and children dying in childbirth. And I haven't heard any comments about it from anybody, <laughs> you know. Uh, is it something that we as a community should be concerned about? Absolutely. I mean, the political people don't seem to be addressing it at all. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm against anti-Semit, the anti-Semites, but, you know, uh, they had this incident in... in uh, Crown Heights, where this lady was slapped, and they said, well, the whole state, the governor, the mayor, the borough president, they all were on stage talking about what should be done. Well, infant mortality rate is killing black women and black babies, and nobody is talking about it. And you raise a very, very, uh, very good point. I want to thank you, Mitch, for giving us a call here on WBAI today. Thank you. You know, to to his point, that's one of the other pieces on my my sheet of notes. Right, <laughs> is um, talking about the again. Here's an instance where of rhetoric, right, of something that was highlighted and mentioned um, uh, last year, last legislative uh, cycle. Um, and to your caller, what's something that is coming down um, the pike is sort of putting some real financial investment in our state hospitals particularly here in Brooklyn, um, where those uh, high incident rates um, uh, are to put some real investment in addressing the issue. Now, to the governor's uh, credit, he did create, um, I think it was the governor or was the mayor, sort of create a task force on how to address this, focusing on doulas, focusing on um, different strategies to help address this issue. But again, creating, you know, commissions and other things is one thing and, and, and very important um, but it also needs to come with a financial investment. You're not serious about anything unless you put some money behind it. Would you agree? Oh, I would agree. I would agree. <laughs> and so that is definitely something from a state perspective that we should all be focused on. It's actually going to be the focus of my show this Sunday. In fact, we've got only about three minutes left. And as much as we can go down, you have some other things on your list. I do <laughs> want to give you a chance, Eljoy, to talk about what you're working on now and how people can follow you. I know the show's on another station, but yes. I gladly will let you say whatever that is and when it is. <laughs> no problem. Well, look, it, you can connect with me on Twitter, social media. On any social media platform at Ljoy Williams, the letter L J O Y Williams, and um, you know I do. I host a show called Sunday Civics, where you know I teach civics to uh, uh, using the current political context. So what's going on right now, given the background and the education on it, and then giving you the tools um, necessary to actually engage in that thing. One of our uh, pieces is that uh, you know civics doesn't begin and end on election day. 
right? And so civics is a full contact sport, something we should all be a part of. So you can go to sundaycivics.org um, and um, you can see all of our past episodes. We're coming up on 100 episodes. Congratulations. Um, so you'll uh, be able to see that and then stay in touch with what we're doing in the future. So it's sundaycivics.org um, and also you can follow me on social at Eljoy Williams. So as we close the show, I want to thank Eljoy Williams of Hofstra, Larry <laughs> Levy of Hofstra, Kevin, Senator Kevin Parker, not of Hofstra. We're not, 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 of Hofstra. not of Hofstra, but Senator Kevin Parker for joining us on the show today to talk about the governor's state of the state and other uh, important issues. I want to remind our listeners that, as Reggie noted right before the show started, we are hitting our 60th birthday tomorrow. And it would be wonderful if you're a dedicated listener of WBAI to help us celebrate that by becoming a BAI buddy. Since we've come back on the air in uh, November, uh, we've been trying to get a lot of our BAI buddies back because for that one month we were off the air, there was a lot of concern, but you know what? We're back. And remember, a lot of us are volunteers, and we put our blood, sweat, and tears into this station. For 60 years, we've provided you with commercial-free, non-corporate community radio. So if you get a chance and would like to become a BAI buddy, you just have to go online to wbai.org. You'll be able to find it online. If you become a buddy, you can just agree to give a recurring donation, $5, 10 $20 a month. We will send you a tote bag. Andrea has said she has a staple of books that have been donated to us that she'll be able to share with anyone who becomes a BAI buddy, and you also will get a discount card as well. Uh, but you can proudly show your BAI support with this tote bag, as I often do uh, on the streets. I want to thank our listeners. I will be back on Sunday uh, with City Watch at 6 o'clock. Uh, I will post on our Facebook page, City Watch WBAI Facebook page, what the topic will be tomorrow. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. Please stay tuned now for the evening news with Paul DiRienzo.